1: and welcome to episode 244 of the Talking Chop podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland. It is Sunday. The regular season is over officially, and there are no makeup games on Monday. Everything is uh, wrapped up in the baseball world. And joining me to discuss what transpired in the last week of the season and more, both Eric Cole and Scott Coleman are here, and uh, the whole crew is back.
2: It's uh, obviously a big show, and what's up, guys? I am ready to talk about some baseball and most importantly postseason baseball with two of my favorite baseball human beings.
3: (laughs) Yeah, it's, uh, it's crazy to think just, I mean, truly two months ago we were preparing and hoping and, and no one really knew what the season was going to be like. And very thankfully the Braves were able to get through cleanly and really most of all the baseball with a couple of exceptions early on. Um, I think it's, it's a borderline miracle, honestly, that they were able to play two clean months of baseball Um, not a ton of injuries, which I know is a real concern. And obviously the Braves did well. So a lot of good stuff to chat about.
1: For sure. It's been, uh, it's been a fun ride. I'll say that it's been a fun one. Uh, The the Braves, of course, spoiler alert, won the, won the National League East this week. They clinched it. We'll get into that in a second. That happened. They're the two seed in the playoffs. I'll be playing the Cincinnati Reds in a best of three series that we're going to cover later on in the week. But uh, yeah, a lot, a lot happened, obviously. Um, I want to start, unfortunately on sort of a low note because it happened right after our last recording uh cole hamels the whole cole, the whole cole hamels debacle happened on monday about 24 hours after we recorded last so i want to touch on that real quickly uh he's obviously out for the season and probably out for his braves career uh left shoulder fatigue all that stuff he missed all that time early on etc and uh within moments of the announcement um alex Anthopoulos said that hamels was, was going to be uh basically you know they cut him off the roster almost immediately. Like it was, there was no like, oh, maybe he'll come out of this. It was, uh, it was over in a hurry. And he can't. He kind of came in on Monday, and I guess about 4:40 p.m. before the game, and said he was having issues, and that was that. So, uh I mean, broadly speaking, one thing I want to say before I bring you guys on on this one is uh, the f- the final tally of combined, yes, combined starts this season from Mike Soroka, Cole Hamels, Mike Fultonavich, Sean Newcomb, Felix Hernandez, which was five sixth of the top six supposed supposed the starters coming into the season those guys combined to start nine times this year and the Braves still won the division and did so comfortably uh I guess we'll start with Eric first Eric what is your reaction to all of that I know the Hamill stuff is not new but uh just sort of broadly speaking him not being there the fallout from that and the fact that the Braves were able to do what they were able to do
2: Well, I mean, broadly speaking, if you had told me that those five guys would have combined for nine starts, I would have told you that the Braves didn't make the playoffs this year. And that's just the truth, because I felt pretty strongly that it was going to be very hard to make in-season additions. Uh, that, That proved to be pretty, I mean, at the trade deadline, there were certainly some moves made, but not a ton of them. The Braves were very clearly reticent to even try to make moves at all. You know, the Tommy Malone trade notwithstanding, that didn't seem to really move the needle very much to me. So, if you told me that there was going to be that, you know, that much turnover in the rotation, I probably would have told you that the Braves weren't going to make the playoffs. Uh, in terms of Hamill specifically, as the kind of the season unfolded, you know, they, they kept talking about, you know, like we'll be able to build his, you know, his innings back up to. Where he'll be able to make starts in the postseason, and that just never made much sense to me. It always felt like at best he was going to be kind of like you'll know, be able to throw three innings type of situation with him. Because building a guy up that quickly is just really, really difficult, especially after a long layoff like that. He didn't have a spring training that really built up his arm because he was already hurt then, and then he was out for so long. It just it it never made sense to me, and it didn't surprise me that there was a setback that cost him. You know, ultimately cost him the season. Um, I will say to those of you who think that this was the, the Hamill signing was so terrible and he got paid all this money, I think all of you need to understand what prorated contracts are first of all, because more than I would say at least a dozen people the day that his that injury came down, they're like they, he they spent you know like close to 20 million dollars on him, and that's just not what happened. Um, and you know with on a one year deal with a guy like that, that you know the upside was there. You know, I still don't think have any regrets about the signing. And you know one of the reasons you do one year deals is for things like this. Where you know an injury pops up, and then you don't feel like you have to, you're stuck for you know paying him for another two or three years on top of that. So overall, it really stinks. Uh, I'm genuinely surprised, given the, all the circumstances, that the Braves were able to stitch this season together the way they were. Uh, oddly enough, even though I was basically wrong about how they got there uh, from our, remember the preseason roundtables we did where we had to guess the number of te- of games the Braves won. Yes. Were you did you guys? Yeah, I was exactly correct at 35. You would somehow. Be. somehow I was exactly right. Uh, You know, although I also picked Mike Soroka to be like top three in the Cy Young voting. So, you know, that didn't work out well. So for me,
1: (laughs) Uh, you weren't wrong, I don't think. He just happened to get hurt. Uh, Scott, you have any thoughts on Hamels? I know we talked a week ago and, you know, honestly, on that our last show, we were somewhat optimistic about Hamels, not like it was like a foregone conclusion that he was going to be a huge part of the playoffs, but it was at least on the table. And, you know, I still think if he had pitched once this week and looked okay, he would have started a playoff game because the Braves trust their veterans. He's a high-profile guy, and that obviously didn't happen.
3: Yeah, as we kind of talked a week ago, I think it was really just kind of a, a cherry on top, right? If you get anything from Hamill's, great. Um, when we When we last spoke, I, I don't know how confident I was that he was going to actually be able to contribute at a high level in the playoffs. As Eric said, maybe he's someone who gives you a couple of innings and kind of an opener role because it's so hard just to go from zero to 60 like that and go from making your first start in 12 months to throwing 80, 90, a hundred extremely competitive pitches in the playoffs uh, scenario. Right. So um, it's unfortunate. It, it was uh, it, I think if Hamels was right, it would certainly be a boost to the Braves without without any doubt. But um, whenever it happened, I think everybody was no one was really holding their breath on Hamels too much. Uh, It was a one year deal. As we've talked about, there's there's no real risk. You're going to shake hands and and say thanks for your time at the end of the year. But it is unfortunate they weren't able to get a bit more of a boost uh, from from a guy who was really going to be counted on whether it was for the 60 game season or 162 game season.
1: Right. And I think people have kind of, you know, it's been six days now. People have kind of reconciled it. Hamels is not a part of the team now. And obviously moving forward, we'll sort of ignore that portion of the fallout. But it was definitely news that broke this week. So I want to touch on it. The other big roster thing, if you want to call it that, is that Pablo Sandoval was officially added to the roster um, and also the postseason pool in in place of Hamels, which isn't a huge surprise. And then Sandoval, a uh, veteran, of course, high profile guy at one point in time, started at third base on Sunday. Uh, Brian Sicker said that Austin Riley tweaked his quad on Friday. He says it's not serious, but he rested Saturday and Sunday. We'll obviously have an eye on that. We're recording this Sunday night, so we don't know anything more about that at this point in time. But even before Austin Riley had that injury, Mark Bowman, good friend of the program, MLB.com, projected Pablo Sandoval to be on the postseason roster. And now we're going to hold off on most postseason talk until our next podcast. But, um, you know, Sicker was talking about the wealth of experience that Sandoval has uh, my question would be why they waited till Sunday if they were going to plan on maybe using him in the playoffs. But uh, Scott, I'll go to you first. Like, what's your reaction to Pablo Sandoval maybe being a factor now because he was not great this season? He's had some nice moments in the past, but um, for like the last five years or so, he's not been all that good. Yeah,
3: I think I was I was certainly wrong a week ago. I think you and I talked that it would take an injury and maybe it does. With Riley going down or missing a couple days, maybe it did increase the chances of Sandoval making it. Of course, I know Bowman said on Monday he thought that Sandoval had a chance to make it. Of course, it was just his projection. But, um, you know, Sandoval is who he is. He looked okay defensively. He got a handful of chances today at third. Um, looked okay there. He You know, at the plate, you, you don't want to make too much of four plate appearances or whatever it was. But, um, again, I guess he's going to be in a backup role. You hope that Riley... Uh, whose glove has improved so much this year. You hope that Riley's able to be out there, but on the chance he's not healthy or the quad just isn't right on, on Wednesday, uh, I would assume as, as rough as Hechevaria has looked defensively. Um, he really cost the Braves, not just once, but twice this weekend with his defense. I, I would imagine that Sandoval's going to be the guy, which is crazy to think about considering everything that's gone on, but I, I guess it never hurts to take a chance on a guy who has been in the playoffs before, and maybe he isn't great, but he at least can put together a decent at bat and catch most stuff that's going to be hit his way.
2: Yeah, I think it's. Uh, there's a couple factors, too. One is that right now your best left-handed pinch-hitting option off the bench is Ender NCRT, which is kind of problematic. Um, and uh, you have that combined. <laughs> kind with, kind um, of? Kind of problematic? Uh, I'll, here. I'll, he has looked unbelievably bad. I mean, Nick Marquez isn't that far behind him in terms of how much he's, how bad he's looked lately. But I mean, Ender has been shockingly like it is a white flag, like a pitcher hitting the last few weeks. It is really, really bad. So I think that that's part of it is just to have some flexibility with bats off the bench. That's not as big of a deal with the, with the DH these days, obviously, but you know, having that option might be uh, valuable combined with that at, Echeverria has just been—he was so bad defensively, like cringeworthy plays in the field, uh, in third base. You know, I think that Riley's going to be fine. It sounded like that he had kind of originally injured the the quad against the Marlins. And then he kind of, like, tweaked it a little bit more later in the week. But he was, like, still taking – I mean, as far as – I mean, I haven't heard any reporting that has changed this. But he was, like, still taking live BP. And, you know, he seemed like he was getting around pretty well, just kind of being extra cautious. Which, by the way, is exactly what the Braves should be doing. Uh, I was – I actually got a lot of angry tweets this week about saying, hey, we need to kind of be giving these guys days off, you know, with the division all locked up. And everyone's like, no, we have to keep the offense hot. And now all of a sudden starts the guys like getting dinged up and dropping like flies. And I'm like, this is why you rest your players, you know, if they have something nagging, give them a couple days extra so they're as fresh as humanly possible. Because this notion of, you know, like staying, like staying crazy hot and that if, you know, if you keep playing these guys until their legs fell off, that they'll continue to score eight, 11 runs a game or whatever is a little bit silly. So. You know, again, that the Braves did what they were supposed to. They gave them, you gave some rest here and there. Uh, they tried to give Freddie Freeman a day off, and he still pinch hit and end up winning the game for the Braves. So, you know, that <laughs> kind of worked out for for all sides. But, you know, in terms of Sandoval, like I, th- I think he's an in- it's an interesting option. I don't think he's going to like make or break anything. Having guys who have playoff experience uh, in that locker room matters. Uh, I do. I'm a little bit curious as to kind of the weight of the moment type stuff. I wonder a little bit about this postseason because there's just not fans in the stadium. So you don't have that kind of crazy, raucous crowd. Uh, is that same pressure on teams? And does that going to change kind of what, how maybe some of these younger teams and these younger players perform? Um, but ultimately, you know, in terms of Sandoval, I think Raleigh's going to be playing most of those games unless, you know, he ends up like, you know, having a setback over the next few days. Um, and it's going to come down to whether or not the Braves offense shows up in these playoff series anyway. And I just don't think that Pablo Sandoval is going to make or break anything.
1: Yeah, he probably won't. Um, It's a depth piece. Like you said, you know, the left-handed pitching pinch hitting options are not plentiful. You know, this year before today, he had 55 WRC plus um, before he counted to the Braves. It's only 90 play play, 90 play play appearances, which isn't a lot obviously, but his exit velocity was still pretty good. He's hitting the ball hard. The problem was he was hitting the ball into the ground. His ground ball rate is sky high right now, but not a lot of power. This year from Pablo, you see him um, physically looks like a power bat. He obviously was a power bat at one point in time, but not necessarily this year. He was pretty good last year at a 110 WRC plus and almost 300 plate appearances in 2019. But other than that, he has been pretty bad since 2015. Like he has a platoon split for his career. Uh, in fact, a 121 WRC plus against right-handed pitching in his career, which goes to your point about left-handed pinship bats, but only 96 on that side of the plate. Um, since the start of 2015. So a guy who's obviously not, not what he used to be, but if the Braves like what they see in him, um, which I believe at this point in time, he does have that veteran presence that I'm sure the Braves are attracted to. Defensively, he's not going to get get you killed at third base. It's fine. I think we'll talk about this on the next show, but you know, him versus Camargo is interesting in a lot of ways. But anyway, he's now a factor in some way, shape, or form, and uh, we'll see what Paulo Sandoval has to offer. Yeah, I'm, I wasn't sure we'd be talking about him today, especially after last week, but alas, here we are. Um, before we get into some of the stuff that actually transpired this week on the field and the clincher and MVP stuff, let's break now and have a word from our sponsors.
0: Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work
1: All right, fellas, we're back. Uh, You know, broadly speaking, I don't want to talk about the results too much for this week because what Eric Eric was saying before, like, you know, the results weren't all that important. Monday, they got the win. Um, You know I had a rough start. And that's double play late from Freeman Swanson. It feels like it it was two months ago. Uh, The clincher we should discuss on Tuesday, 11-1. to It was a party atmosphere to clinch the NL East. Uh, Bryce Wilson gets the start. He was really good, uh, which I'm sure made Eric's heart very warm. Um, Marcel Ozuna. Got hot. Uh, Freeman, Albies, Swanson, all Homer. And by the way, Ronald Acuna, I'll, I'll just leave this here. Ronald Acuna, and I'm quoting here, if you ask me, it's World Series or nothing. That was a direct quote from Ronald Acuna, which I really love to hear. Um, Eric, because you just gave me a, a, a feisty response. Uh, any any sort of lasting thoughts from Tuesday? Because we, we knew this was going to happen for quite some time that the Braves were likely to win the division. It was mathematical um, almost by then. But, you know, once the party happens, it was a lot of fun and uh, it was a comfortable win. So, everybody got, to, everybody got to prepare for it. One of your prospects got to be on the mound for part of it. It was a night uh, sort of built for you.
2: Yeah, it really was. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm really happy for Bryce, first of all. Like, he kind of, for a guy as young as he is and has been as successful as he is in the minor leagues, like, I, the Bryce fan base has been really rough on him. And, like, I don't think it's necessarily been completely fair. You know, obviously, you have to be certain. Uh, you have to have kind of a, a short leash when you have a team that has real playoff aspirations and, you know, the types of issues he has can be particularly bad on the eyes when you have issues with walks and giving up home runs, but he was never really that guy so much in the minor leagues. And I really felt that he was better than what he had been showing in the major league. So it was really good to have him have a good performance on Tuesday. He would look pretty good today too. Um, Just didn't get the pitch all that long. So, you know, I, I think he's going to be a, in the Braves plans, for the playoffs, uh, wasn't the guy that I thought was going to be there. But, you know, has looked has looked really good in that start. Um, I just want to go out and say that I don't know about you guys, but if it is decided that the National League has the designated hitter, the Braves need to throw money at Marcelo Zuna because they're, they're not going to find a better guy on the open market for that position, and he's been really, really good. And I, I don't think the Braves make the playoffs without him on this roster. I just don't. Yeah, it's amazing. I think Ozuna
3: has been overshadowed really all year by Freddie and Acuna and with good reason. Those guys have been uh, two of the best players in baseball as they have been for years. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Ozuna from from day one or I guess day two with that home run he hit off of Edwin Diaz in the second game of the year, all the way through the end of the year. Um, Ozuna was fantastic. He was consistent. Um, so yeah, ab- absolutely worthy of <clears throat> all the uh, credit that he gets um yeah nothing it was nice to clinch I know Brad and I we talked uh, I don't think anyone wanted this to go into the weekend where the Braves were still having to play meaningful games they were able to take care of it early in the week which was good Um, I guess it didn't necessarily prevent injury from eventually happening even if they were of the minor variety but uh, nonetheless good to get it out of the way early in the week and not have to play meaningful games more than you have to
1: yeah I mean We'll just talk about Ozuna now for a second since Eric brought it up. Ozuna wins the National League home run crown. There was a moment or two this week in which he had a chance at the triple crown. Now, granted, it would have been a little bit of an asterisk for me on the triple crown, given the fact that it was a short season. But the first home run uh, crown for any Braves since Andrew Jones in 2005, so that's 15 years ago. Um, Ozuna finished leading the league in home runs RBI, and he was third in batting average. You know, he was ridiculous, man. He was tied for sixth in Fangraph's War third WRC+. plus. I know I've made jokes all season long and with a lot of fun in my heart about people making fun of his clubhouse presence before the season started. One of the more ridiculous things I've ever seen on the internet, anywhere, and that's a high bar to clear. Uh, we were right about that, 100%. But, not even us, and we were, very, we were very, very pro-Zuna on this podcast, not even we saw this coming. Like, he was Unbelievably ridiculous top 10 player in the National League this year. And, uh, you know, probably the third best hitter in the National League overall behind Juan Soto in a shortened season for him and Freddie, of course. So, uh, yeah, shout out to Marcelo Zuna. Obviously, you can't bank on this, I don't think, long-term, because no one's this, probably. But, uh, you yeah, know, I agree with Eric. I mean, if, if if the DH is in place and it boggles my mind as to why they haven't go- went ahead and announced that or given some team some leeway here to plan on something... But alas, Rob Manfred runs Major League Baseball. Uh, yeah, if we assume the DH, I have to think that both sides would be interested in, in a return. But uh, yeah, Josh Marcel Azuna, who was a huge part of this team. Hopefully he's, he continues to mash. There's no signs of slowing down, really, for him. So uh, he's obviously a huge part of this thing, even though we're going to talk about Freddie in a second. But uh, Azuna, honestly, put, up, put together an MVP-level season. He's not going to win it, nor should he, in my opinion, but still someone who honestly should get top five MVP votes, which is crazy to think about.
3: Yeah, I mean, what a freaking awesome situation! I know we're we're going to talk more about the playoffs here in a little bit, but once the Braves made that change to Acuna, Freddie, and Ozuna at the top with Travis Darno fourth more times than not, um, what a what a crazy lineup! I mean, the Cubs did it a couple of years ago with Rizzo and Bryant um, and and Baez. This is just a different level. I mean, as you said, you're talking about three of maybe the five or six best hitters in baseball this year, and I know it's sixty games, but 60 games is 60 games. Um, it should be, hopefully, uh, fingers crossed, it should be a real problem for other teams in the playoffs here.
1: One would think, I have to say. Um, okay, post-clincher, the games didn't matter at all. They clinched number two seed pretty quickly. A um, couple of injuries to talk about real quickly. And uh, you know, one of them was, the first one was Max Fried on Wednesday, who exited with the ankle tweak and came out the next day and said he, that he should be good to go for game one. We're all going to assume that, but that was not fun to see him uh, leave the game in a hurry. Later in the week, Ronald Acuna was scratched on Sunday with with what they were calling left wrist irritation. Um, you know, that's the same wrist that was bothering him before. They downplayed that, and obviously, he didn't need to play on Sunday, but still, you never love to see him be a Nelson lineup and then removed. And then Chris Martin pulled himself out of the game on Sunday with a right groin discomfort problem. He did not look comfortable at all. I saw David Lee, a good friend of the program, tweeting about the fact that, you know, it's hard to pitch with that injury, quite obviously. If there's anything going on there, um, you know, I'm not sure that's great. Obviously, Chris Martin famously last year got injured at a really bad time. Um, Snicker did say he's day-to-day, and they're hopeful he can be ready for Wednesday. That's the good thing about this. The Braves have two days off now on Monday and Tuesday before they open the playoffs. But, uh, Eric, you know, that trio of injuries, you know, even if the if, if the ones to to Max and Ronald Acuna Jr. are minor, the Martin one matters, and that's that one seems to be the most scary at this point in time. But what's your concern level for all three of these injuries?
2: Uh, for Acuna and, and Max, pretty low. It sounded like Acuna was wanting to play today. It just kind of like he mentioned that his wrist was a little bit sore, but he was going to go ahead and play. And like they just the Braves did what they were supposed to do. Like, oh, you're a little bit sore. Well, this game doesn't matter at all. So get out of there. Um, and I think to give them that little bit of extra rest is going to be an important thing. I don't think he's going to be completely healthy throughout the playoffs just because the the wrist stuff has kind of consistently been an issue this year. You know, he's just been, he's just been dealing with it. Uh, I don't think it's like a long lasting, like crazy injury that requires surgery or anything, but it's just kind of one of those injuries. That's just kind of hard. That's just kind of lingering for him. So can we expect him to be a hundred percent throughout the playoffs? I don't necessarily think so, but I also don't think that for Ronald Acuna Jr. He has to be at hundred percent to be the scariest guy on the baseball field either. So, you know, I think that, you know, I I, I just not I didn't put much stock into the, that that particular injury, and I think that we would have heard more about Max if that ankle injury he has was going to be causing issues. The Chris Martin thing really really stinks, and you know, having Chris Martin pull himself out very quickly from a play a a relief appearance to be replaced by Luke Jackson again, and then have it go sideways like it did today, as the same way it did in the playoffs, did not feel particularly great. I will have to I I have to say, but you know, this is a different bullpen. This is, this isn't a situation where you have to get your, your valuable innings out of Chris Martin. Otherwise you're kind of dipping into parts of the bullpen. You don't necessarily want to. Um, There's a lot of really good pieces in the bullpen itself. Uh, You know, AJ Minter's a different pitcher. Obviously you have some guys who maybe aren't performing as well as you'd want them to do always about looking at you, Will Smith, for example. But overall, (laughs) this is kind of a different bullpen uh, that is much deeper. And at least you're not, finding out in the middle of a game that this guy's hurt, you actually have some time to plan around it. And if it ends up being like a longer, you know, sort of he needs to be out of a series or not, you know, not being playing for a while, then you have some options that you can bring up too. So, you know, again, is my concern level high? I wouldn't say high, but, you know, it's certainly some things to consider, especially since, you know, going from a lineup that has Ronald Acuna Jr. And Austin Riley to a lineup that has Pablo Zandoval and Ender Enciarte is definitely not something I'm particularly excited about. But I, I feel pretty good about all those guys kind of being able to get back on the mound and get back in the lineup. Before
1: I ask Scott to jump in here, I do want to say I, I got a text from someone I would I would describe as close to the organization um, today. Uh, and it was not it was it was a joke this, to be serious, to be clear. This was this is a joke. But he was like, well, currently picturing a, uh, a postseason outfield of NCRT Marquez, and Duvall. And I was like, Oh God, that's not fun. Uh, granted <laughs> it was, it was, it was a joke. It was a joke. It was not serious, but man, that would be brutal. And by the way, if that happened, if Ronnie for some reason actually was hurt, which we're hoping he's not, I think that they would probably go with Ozuna in the outfield and like DH Darno. Cause my God. Uh, anyway, Scott, do you have any, uh, any lingering yeah. thoughts on the injuries? Are you worried at all about these guys?
3: Uh, Chris Martin is, as Eric said is clearly the one to be concerned about of these, uh, Honestly, if the Braves, the way the Braves are constructed this week, they really couldn't give guys that many days off because they really only have the two position players on their bench. Um, If it was my call and they had the normal September expanded rosters, I don't think I would have put anybody in the lineup today. So again, we don't know how Ronnie's really doing, but I would imagine in general, I would have taken Acuna out of the lineup, whether his wrist was bothering him a little bit or not just just, you don't want to risk whatever happening to him. Um, And that goes for all of the good players on the roster. So uh, again, this year is a little bit different. You hope that Martin, uh, you hope that he's okay. I guess he has about 72 hours to try to get it resolved since the rosters aren't due until Wednesday. Um, It didn't look horrible. I guess is if you're looking for a uh, semi encouraging thing, it wasn't like a very obvious, Oh no, he's not going to throw baseball for a while. But the fact that he called the trainer out after three or four pitches on Sunday was not encouraging, to say the least.
1: For sure. And I will echo both of what you said about Martin, Uh, you know, Martin, obviously. But the Acuna thing is so weird to try to diagnose from the outside. We have to assume the best because, you know, it should have been the lowest possible threshold to remove him from the lineup today. So, you know, we just have no we have no idea. We have sort of no way of knowing. What it is, but we're going to assume it be positive because we are known on this podcast for being positive. Um, <laughs> last thing, last thing I want to, I want to get to from the week before we get into Friday's MVP candidacy, which spoiler alert should be uh, pretty clear. Um, Friday was a lot of fun. I, I think the two, the two biggest plays of the week in terms of like just pure joy after the clincher, of course, was Ronald Acuna's bomb on Friday that was 495 feet by StatCast with a 112.9 miles per hour exit velocity. That was the longest home run, I believe, of the season in Major League Baseball by StatCast. Um, That was number one. And then number two is, of course, the Freddie Freeman walk-off, which is a good transition point as well. Freddie walks it off after not starting the game. He needed a day off. People were upset about that. It's like, no, he needed a day off. Um, Of course, comes in and walks it off. So, uh, Scott, did you... uh, have a reaction. Honestly, I was not watching the game live early on Friday and I saw the Acuna home run come through on Twitter. And I believe my response was dear God on Twitter. Cause I, I could not believe how hard he yeah. hit that baseball. And it was like, you know, one of those visceral reactions that you see like, Oh my goodness, that ball uh, is not going to land for quite some time.
3: Yeah. I mean, we've, was this the third full year now of SunTrust or Truist? Um,
1: I don't know. <laughs> Truist Scott. <that's, God. laughs> Truist.
3: Truist. I think it's year four now, but, um, when I saw it live, my reaction was, I don't think I've ever seen a ball hit out to left center like that, and I believe that was confirmed, that nobody has ever hit one to the concourse in left center. Anybody who's been to Truist knows just how insanely far away that is from home plate, so uh, yeah, it was a uh, it was a cutter that didn't really cut, and it was right into Ronnie's bat, bat path, and um he he crushed it. So again, going off on the wrist thing, the fact that he was hitting pretty well this past week is encouraging as well. If he was really scuffling and they scratched him, I think we should be a little more concerned. But for that very reason, I think he'll be fine.
2: Yeah, I would have I taken agree. the over on four ninety five or one thirteen on those on, on those stat cap numbers because again, I, I when I, I when I go to games, like just just watching them, I like to sit out there. That is a long, long ways. And I, I, I thought that when once the camera like couldn't get the ball landing in frame, then I'm like, that ball's five hundred <laughs> feet away. You know what I mean? I mean, I mean it kinda it kinda of was, to be fair. I mean well, I'm I, not you know, an expert on I, this. Like, yeah. yeah. I would I was thinking like Aaron Judge level, like crazy numbers, you know, Giancarlo Stanton type X of YC type numbers. But again, that that one was absolutely it, it, you don't get to see balls hit like that very often. The only one that was close for me, and it wasn't even in a game, is that I got to watch Evan Gaddis take uh, batting practice once, and he was oh like putting balls in places. I'm like, baseballs don't go there, you know. Yeah, but that no, was, I mean, you know, batting practice. So not yet, not not, not a competitive game, uh, and also like,
1: you know, 495. I'm not someone who. You know, there's been lots of talk this year, I feel like, on the internet, especially like about like conspiracy theories on home run, home run distance, and I, I just don't care about that. But 495 by StatCast was number one in the league again this season. That was, uh, and it looked like it. Like, sometimes your eyes can be fooled by home runs and where they land, and I saw Mike Petriello do an explainer about this recently, but that one was just uh, annihilated. And it gave me great joy, frankly. As just scrolling the timeline, like, oh, I'm covering basketball. What's going on in the red? Oh my goodness! <laughs> it was one of those. It just like stop mid sentence in my brain. Yeah. Um, okay, that's probably enough on what happened this week. I do want to wrap the podcast up. And spoiler alert: we're basically going two parts. Like one of these, the one you're listening to now is going to be up on Sunday night, and then the uh, part two will be essentially the playoff series preview against the Reds. We're going to get to that, I promise. But uh, Freddie's MVP candidacy. We spent some time on this last week. Uh, we weren't 100% sure he was going to win it last week. Uh, now I'm pretty confident. Uh, Steps step, step, uh, the stage a little bit here. Freddie finishes, at least with the live stats from Fangraphs from today, with a 3.4 Fangraphs war in 60 games. Now that is outrageously good, obviously. That's number one in the National League. Tatis finishes at 3.0. Mookie Betts at 2.9. Freddie was the most valuable hitter in the National League by a lot. Uh This is a slash line that I can't believe I'm about to read. 341, 462, 640. That's a 456 WOBA, a 187 WRC+, plus to uh, basically lead the league among qualifiers. Uh, A 17.2% walk rate, and a 299 ISO for Freddie. I will will say this, Juan Soto actually had better numbers than Freddie this season on a per-game basis. But he only played 13, uh, 13 fewer games, and uh, in a season this long, that's not enough to win MVP. So just one said he's really good. But Freddie was again by far the most valuable hitter this season. We'll we'll stop there for now. Uh, in addition to the COVID storyline, returning from that, the team success, all that stuff. Uh, we'll go to Eric first. Um, is Freddie just the MVP, or are we? Uh, should we be try to be unbiased like think about other people? Like I, I've seen Braves fans just saying this is over. Is it? Is it over?
2: It should be. Uh, I think that look, posting like an 1100 OPS over a 60 game stretch is already just nuts on its face, um, and when you take, factor into the fact that Freddie had like was point four WAR over in a 60 game stretch, better than Tatis or Betts playing as a first baseman when Tatisse is a shortstop and a good one, and Bets is a good outfielder. So that, how much better he has been on a very good baseball team. I, I I just don't. I mean, look, there's gonna be the there's gonna be the the story about Tatis Jr. being a really young guy and he's like the hot name and as hot as he was at the beginning of the season, you know, there's gonna be guys, teams, folks that remember that. Obviously, with Mookie, he's both very very good and in a very big market, so there's just gonna be people who are gonna push that storyline. I just think that if you look from the beginning of the season to the end, what Freddie has done for this lineup, and even at his worst stretches, he was still a top twenty player in baseball all year long. And it's just, it seems like, you know, the, the storyline is there where he was sick and he comes back. The team's been great. He's been perennially underrated for like forever now. He should have been placing higher in a lot of MVP voting, you know, for, for multiple seasons. And now you have a very clear case where he was very clearly the best hitter in baseball for the entirety of the season. He stayed healthy. You know, he helped carry the team. He does everything that you'd want from him, from an offensive standpoint, other than actually being a a base runner of, of note. Uh, I don't really necessarily want him, you know, trying to change that by trying to steal more bases. Cause when he's trying to <laughs> run, it's, you know, no. it's, let's, no, let's just not do that. But other than that, I mean, he, he does everything that you'd want at the plate, you know, is a, like, I think could be a really great face for baseball too. I think that from, you know, just from the numbers and from all the narrative stuff, like I, he's a clear choice for me and I really hope that the writers don't screw this up.
1: I will interject here before I, before I let Scott answer, um, just to point out, to to be uh, fair, uh, this is not updated because Baseball Reference is not updated until, until overnight, so Fangraphs has the live stats, Baseball Reference does not, but coming into Sunday, it was actually Mookie Betts with a relatively comfortable war lead by their metric, now, even they had Freddie as the most valuable offensive player in the National League, but they obviously give Betts the Defensive advantage, which he should have. He's a better defender at a better position than Freeman. But I want to just put that out for the put that put that out there for the uh, fairness aspect to say that Betts actually did great as the best player in the National League by Baseball Reference. So it wasn't unanimous in the way that Fangraphs actually was. But uh, I tend to agree with what Eric said. Still, uh, Scott, do you have thoughts on uh, Freddie's MVP case?
3: I think the one thing that really probably favors Freddie here is you. We've talked about Batiste. We've talked about Mookie Betts. We've talked about Manny Machado. Um, All of those guys are, are on the West Coast. And uh, maybe I'm biased to being on the West Coast, but I think there's certainly a uh, bias. And naturally, when, when games are starting at 10 o'clock Eastern time, I think writers on the East Coast saw a whole lot more of Freddie Freeman this year than they did of Tatis Machado or Betts. Um, so the fact that those guys might also split some votes also works in Freddie's favor. Uh, there's really nobody on, uh, I guess, Acuna or Orozuna could steal a couple of votes from Freddie, though I don't think they're going to get first-place votes by any means. So um, I, I think Freddie's pretty clearly, at least for me, the MVP. Um, I guess if Tatis gets it, just to kind of give him, uh, you know, Padres were, were a really enjoyable team this year, I guess I could maybe wrap my head around that. Um, I don't think Machado gets it. I don't think Mookie gets it. I think um, I I think it's Freddie's year. I think it's been a long time coming at some point. You talk about a guy being so underrated for so long that I think it almost becomes like engraved in your head. It's kind of like the Russell Wilson MVP vote thing, right? At some point it's like, yeah, maybe we should vote for this guy. Um, That kind of feels like it's going to be Freddie's year here. And, and hopefully he's rewarded with that here coming soon.
1: I totally agree. And uh, you know, Something you know, we're, not, we're not the biggest narrative driven podcast out there, but honestly, you can't overstate Freddie having COVID, saying on the record he thought he might die. Like, Fred, that was, I'm not trying to be funny about it, but Freddie said that on the record. Like, he had a fever in the 104, 105 range. Like, the man was in serious peril physically on the eve of the season, shows up with, like, you know, a couple days before the year. We weren't even sure he was going to start the season and essentially, you know, played every day all year long and was incredible. Like, granted, he took it took a second to ramp up, but that kind of tells you, uh, you know, how good he was in September. I mean, he had a WRC Plus of like 225 or something like that in September. Like, the guy was just out of his mind for the large majority of the season. So, you know, I know there is a narrative... Factor for Tatis as sort of that face of the league coming up, and he was so hot early that I thought he actually might run away with it. But he cooled off considerably. Betts is probably the best player of this group. If we're with, with all with all respect to Freddie, who's awesome, Mookie Betts is the guy. Most people think it's like the number two player in baseball behind Mike Trout. But still, like it wasn't like Mookie Betts had an off the chart season for him. He was very good. He's very good at baseball. But narrative wise, I think as a tiebreaker, I, I'm not a big fan of voting for narrative, but it does matter. And in this case, I'm not sure that the narrative doesn't actually help Freddie. And if it does, then he sh- then he probably will win comfortably because if you look at the numbers, I think he should I think he should win objectively so. Um but if you throw in the narrative and the fact and the fact that I think he actually has the best case yeah. that, you know, the more uh, I would say fungible writers might look at, he's got the box score stats too. Like he's got the, the, the traditional batting average, he was number 2 in batting average. That matters too. Like I think he's just got every box checked right now.
3: Yeah, and on a good team too. I think that matters. Yep. If, if we that were always, that about always that always matters. Un- yeah. Unfortunately, that always matters. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> in baseball. Right? It's why Mike Trout hasn't won it like nine years in a row or something crazy. I mean,
1: yeah. I mean, know, and I, I I get it, but like I, maybe it could be a tiebreaker for you. But in baseball, you you just cannot overstate how little one player can do on a baseball field. Mike yeah. Trout has been the best player in the world for a decade now, and he cannot do anything to get the Angels in the playoffs. And want to know whose fault that is? isn't? Mike Trout. Like what's it what's he supposed to do? I don't know. But anyway, yep. Freddie doesn't have that I'm I'm glad for our sake and for the Braves' sake, that's not that's not a concern this time around because Freddie was on a good team the entire way. He was the best player on that team this year. He just he should win, frankly. Like we're not homers, honestly, on this podcast in the way that a lot of people might be. He just should win. He's got the best case.
2: Yeah. And I mean, if you want just even an example from this year, who is arguably on a rate basis the best hitter in the National League? That would be Juan Soto. And yep. the Washington Nationals, I don't know if you look at their record by well, the end of the season, but it didn't look so hot. So, you know, it was not Juan Soto's of one of fault. Things. but
1: Yes, exactly.
2: <laughs> uh, it was it was absolutely not Juan Soto's fault. He if he was not on that team, it would have been worse somehow. I'm I'm still kind of grabbing my head around how how bad the Nationals end up being. But again, I mean, we saw examples this year where you know guys played really well and it wasn't good enough. And you know, in this particular case, you have a situation in Freddie where. He's on a really good team, and he was the best hitter all year.
1: Yeah, I uh, agree with all that. By the way, one quirk I wanted to mention. I like fangraphs more than baseball reference. I kind of always have. Um, That's not a shot at baseball reference. It's very useful. But uh, I'm not sure you guys know this, and I'm springing it on you. Uh, If I were to ask you who the other top five position player war guy is on this Braves team in the National League, who would you say? not phrase number two just for Uh, just to be just to be just be clear friday's number two who do you you think the other guy in the top five is
3: i think it's dansby because of the defense but i could be wrong
1: dansby swanson coming into today was number four in the national league among baseball and baseball reference position player war
3: yeah (laughs) what
1: that's not (laughs) a joke so, the
3: defense, the defense. Uh, I'm, I'm with you, and 100%. that's why, and that's why
1: Bets yeah. is number one by by comfortable margin. So I just mm-hmm. want, to, I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to crap on it. I just think it's that's noteworthy <laughs> to me. Um, I enjoy Dansby, Dansby was good Wisconsin.
3: this year. Yep, me too. But if he, he was the he was fourth good. best player, <laughs> I I have issues with that.
1: <laughs> yeah, he he was good this year. Uh, and again, that's coming into today, so the numbers might change by the time you're listening to this. But Dansby uh, probably not a top five player in the National League this year, just
2: by my uh, my own standards. Pro- pro- probably not. I wouldn't think he was that not. good defensively. He wasn't even that good defensively this year. Oh well, oh, well. Oh, that's beside the point. But that's fine. Anyway, I, I don't, <laughs> you know,
1: don't want to go down rabbit hole Dansby, right now. Said. But uh, I was just doing the research on on Freddie, uh, and I was like, wait, why is why is Dansby seen as better than Ozuna and Acuna? By the way, uh, disagree with that. Alas. Okay. Well, unless you guys have more to share, we're gonna wrap up this now. Uh, again, my our plan. Is to keep recording essentially with the three of us. And we'll have you have another another podcast in the next 24 to 36 hours, something like that. I want to give you some time to listen to this one. But our next show will be here in short order, previewing the three-game series upcoming against the Cincinnati Reds. Spoiler alert: the team that I did not want the Reds to play. I'm not sure if you guys agree. I think I think you probably do. Um, but we'll get into that on the, on the next one. So please subscribe to the podcast. Please, please, please subscribe. We're going to do a lot of content, hopefully, on this particular audio medium in the coming days and weeks. But please follow Eric. Please follow Scott. Follow me if you want to get some basketball takes. Follow the show and uh, and also the site at TalkingChop.com. And, uh, yeah, hold tight. We'll be back again in about 24 hours. So we'll see you then.